And I wanted to welcome Kramath. Kramath has been part of uh, Riverside for nearly 25 years. Um, he's been here in Birmingham for some 50 years, uh, over in Bourneville lately as well. So let, can we just uh, give him a warm welcome as uh, Kramath comes forward? And um, here's something of, uh, of his story uh, as well. So it's great to see you, Kramath, this morning. Thank you for coming over, yeah, finding welcome. your way here. Thank you. And. Uh, as we kind of start this morning, um, and people can hopefully can see us, maybe just straighten up slightly on the on the stage for these guys over there. That'd be great. Tell us a little bit about about your background, um, and yeah, how did it start? How did Krama start? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, my story started in this hall, so I'm quite emotional at the moment. Thanks for the uh, opportunity. Not at all. Um, to. Uh, I like talking about myself, so uh, you know. <laughs> the, your challenge is going to be uh, how to fit 60 years plus into 20 minutes. So. Tell us a bit about how you grew All up right. then. Let's uh, start there. Okay, um, I um, grew up in uh, Kashmir, uh, the, the bit that's under Pakistani control, and uh, in a district called Mirpur, which has been made famous by uh, Adil Rashid and Moin Ali giving England a helping hand in the cricket team. Both of them are Mibri boys. Um, it was a simple life. Yeah. And um, uh, we, um, we, yeah, we, we cooked on open fires. There was no gas or electricity. Uh, we walked everywhere. Uh, that's the path uh, to my school. Um, that's the school I, I went to, one school to serve um, uh, 10,000 probably people. I'm not seeing a lot of chairs there, Cromwell. No, we sit, in, sit on the floor. So imagine sit, me sitting there for five years behind, behind those books on the floor. There was one teacher for the whole school. Uh, there was a teacher's chair and a blackboard, uh, two items of furniture. Um, after school, before school, um, we made our our own games to amuse ourselves. Islam was the um, only religion. Not everybody practiced it. That's the house I grew up in. Um, you see the pots. Uh, we used to keep water in those. And it says something across the top of the house? Yeah, uh, above the door. Um, if you look close enough, it says, uh, Ya Allah, Ya Muhammad. Uh, oh God, oh Muhammad, um, that tells you that this was a Muslim environment and um, you kind of internalize those kinds of messages. Um, yeah. So brothers, sisters? Um, five sisters. Um, wow. I was the only son. Okay. So um, I was uh, in, in a world uh, uh, where I was growing up being a boy was uh, something really special. Yeah. And so I grew up uh, feeling very special. I was spoiled. I was the prince of the family. Yeah. And um, um, ours was a respected and generous family. Okay. And um, uh, if, you, if you were hungry or thirsty or needed a bed for the night, uh, you're passing through the village, there were no hotels, you might go and sleep in the mosque or, or come to our house uh, and be fed, or you needed advice, you'd come to my parents. So as a child, I knew I was a special boy from a very special family. 
Okay. And so I had that kind of. Um, so how did you come to Britain? How did that come about? Well, it was a world where there were very few opportunities, and everybody went away from the village yeah. first to work in the um, for the British uh, in, in pre uh, forty seven world, yeah. um, and then afterwards in in other parts of Pakistan, um, and. Uh, they, they said, well, people were saying to my family, look, you've got one son, what life are you going to give him here? Um, and my dad had been to England for five years, uh, from 57 to 62. Um, he knew this was a land of opportunities, and he wanted a piece of that for me. And um, he um, and my, my mother um, you know, decided to send me to live with my sister in Birmingham. So you come here in 1970. Yeah. What is Birmingham like? What do you make of it as you arrive? It's, it's a crazy world. You know, I'd come from a very simple world where you walked everywhere and um, um, here you could catch a bus, the number eight uh, passed our door. Um, and um, uh, we, we went to school and we sat on chairs um, and there was a local library. Um, I could go there and borrow books. And um, uh, you can see, uh, I, you know, I've got quite a few now. I mean, anybody who's ever been to Kramer's house will know he loves books. We're just hoping that he didn't realize you're supposed to take them back to the library. But uh, <laughs> we have, we're assured that these are Kramer's books um, that he's, uh, he's grown fond of over the years. Yeah. And um, um, so that, that, that was the kind of uh, world. Um, I stopped being religious okay. very, very early on. Oh, this um, is your music collection. Music, yeah. So uh, those of you who are old enough, you will, uh, and maybe a few youngsters with uh, taste in, uh, good taste in music, um, <laughs> will, uh, will recognize some of these albums. Uh, the, the one at the top in the middle, Pink Floyd, was the first one. Uh, Super Tramp, Crown of the Century was the second. And then a few others, and Bruce Springsteen arrived, and he's still part of my <clears> life. Um, third party in our relationship. Um, so spiritually, what's going on? What spiritually? Spiritually, where are you at? I, I was uh, Islam was um, kind of part of my life. Yeah. Um, but it was part of the culture as well. Yeah. And uh, going away from that culture into kind of Western life. Yeah. Um, I I left the culture and 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 the religion behind and stopped practicing. Yeah. Um, uh, I think. I remember, uh, you know, uh, when I lived in Small Heath one time, I used to take day trips out to um, Coventry Cathedral, yeah. uh, walk around the ruins of the old and sit in, inside the new uh, building. Uh, there used to be a building, uh, a, a cafe in Birmingham called the Jesus Center, yeah. where the World Prayer Center is at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I remember I used to go there for cups of tea. Yeah. Um, and I could tell these, this was a white space white people, but they were somehow different. They yeah. were welcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so it's safe to say I, I, I had fun in those 10 years or so in the 70s. Yeah. I um, uh, became independent Yeah. Uh, because my sister kind of let me do whatever I wanted to yeah. do. Okay. So I had to make my own decisions. Um, but it's also fair to say that my sister was my sister. She tried to be my mother, but she couldn't. Okay. And I missed my mom. Yeah, yeah. And I missed my dad. Yeah, yeah. And you know. 
So as you try to kind of find your way through life, you kind of you come out of school and trying to get to university, eventually trained to be a teacher. Just talk us about that little phase. Of yeah, I, after three years of schooling, uh, I had to get a job. I had to stand on my own two feet. Um, and, you know, I, I, I knew I couldn't depend on the family anymore. Uh, so uh, I left and uh, got a job. Yeah. And um, I'd, I've always been a, a, a lover of learning um, back from the, that village school. And so I continued with learning, yeah. uh, going to evening classes, yeah. and it um, uh, took me six years to um, get my 5.0 levels and two A levels yeah. to go to teacher training. Yeah. Uh, during that time, I'd worked yeah. um, as a clerk, uh, saved up, and bought a house. Yeah. And so I'm in my early 20s. Um, I have a job. I have a house. I have the qualifications to go to university. Yeah. I also knew that university was where you went for qualifications, but also to find um, your partners. Tell us a little bit more about that, Carl. So I had this single-minded focus to go to college, West Hill College in Selly Oak, looking around for who is going to be my wife. Okay. And within two months, I'm not kidding you, within two months, I'd found her. She's sitting over there. That's good news. That's, <laughs> could have got awkward there. <laughs> um, so you meet Sue. Sue's a Christian. She's got yeah. lots of Christian friends. What, what sort of impact does that have on your life? I think through her, I meet other Christians. And, you know, most were decent people. Occasionally, you meet some objectionable ones and um, you know um, I uh, yeah. kind of uh, she she Sue tells me that I she could tell that I was seeking after okay. something yeah, yeah. Um, you know I was a lost boy um, you know looking for something um, and um, um, we, we obviously fallen in love um, a couple of months later we got engaged gave our families the time to get used to the idea. Yeah. Um, neither of them had expected that we would find, you know, somebody from a different cultural background. Yeah. Um, so we thought we'd give them time. Two years yeah. later, we, we, we got married. And this was quite a countercultural decision on my part, because in those days, if a Pakistani man married a white woman, she would be expected to become a Muslim. And uh, I had no such expectation. So that would tell you where I was personally in terms of faith. Yeah. Um, and we also got married in the Christian chapel at our college. Um, and I didn't expect Sue to become a Muslim, nor the children when they arrived to become Muslims. Um, through that relationship, through the family, um, I rediscovered unconditional love. Okay. I rediscovered and allowed myself to be vulnerable again. And uh, I learned about dependence, uh, how I can depend on other people and trust them, and how they can depend on me. Yeah. And, um, so there's a long journey going on here. And, and one, 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 one more years, thing. Becoming a parent was critical. Okay. Um, it 
it taught me something. I think it taught me two things uh, uh, above all. One was um, for the first time uh, I started to see things from my parents' perspective. I used to think they had sent me away at the age of 12 and sometimes I missed them and I probably didn't like them because they'd done that. For the first time in my life, because I'd become a parent, I began to see it as my parents' sacrifice. Right. That they'd sacrifice something to send their only son yeah. abroad. Yeah. So I began to see things very differently. And the other thing I think happened, becoming a parent, when these two young children were looking up to me, yeah. um, it taught me something about the father-God yeah. relationship. Now, I know a lot of this is going on inside of you. And when we yeah. chatted a few weeks back, you talked about, you know, the, the kind of the private persona and the public persona. Yeah. And although this is going on inside of you, it's not obvious outside. You're very much keeping it to yourself, this kind of processing of, of life and faith. Um, uh, yeah, do you want to just say something about that? Yeah, and then, I, and then how I, you I came had those two personas. How you came to a decision. You know, um, and, and um, I was very good at it. Publicly, I did not want God. I was maybe Muslim. I'd say, don't talk to me about God. And uh, I'm not, not interested. Yeah. But privately, I was somewhere else. Yeah. And, and much softer, on a journey, uh, exploring, thinking. Remember, this was kind of very countercultural thing to, sure. to be doing. Yeah. And what I'd been doing was kind of going against the grain. And... Um, but there are a couple of indicators. As early as 1984, when I was a teacher, um, I, um, there was a teacher wearing a fish sign, fish badge, and I wanted to steer his conversation in such a way so I could tell him that I was married to a Christian. Okay. And uh, the other thing that happened was six years later, I went to Pakistan in 1991. And uh, Murray is a place where there are lots of Christians. And I was in Murray, and uh, in the church grounds, they were selling Bibles. And I came back from that trip in Pakistan with an Urdu Bible, okay. and said to Sue, hey, look, you know, here, here's your Bible in Urdu. Okay. And I still have that uh, at, at home. So the, the, these were indicators of where I was privately yeah. and um, so slowly my attitude changed I softened um, started to come to Riverside this very building in yeah. September of uh, 94 so it's 25 years this September um, Nick was preaching on a series uh, on, on the family yeah. which was about six sessions yeah. and I was completely kind of uh, you know blown away by Nick's preaching and what he was saying and I then found out what the next series was and um, and then when that second series finished I stopped asking what that series was I continued to come regularly yeah. and um, there was a critical day and you know I hadn't prepared for it. I think I didn't talk about it last time, last week when, when we did this interview, um, but it's brought it all back. 
uh, Sue was ill one Sunday, and I had to now decide whether I'd been going to church to please Sue or whether I was going on for myself. Yeah. And I decided it was the latter. Wow. I came here, and when we were singing Father God, I broke down and cried. Yeah. Because he was my father. And I looked up and caught, the, there's a man called Cliff Wales. I don't think he comes to the church, uh, this church now. I, I caught his eye and went to him and cried in his arms. Yeah. And I think that was a, a very significant morning. Sure, yeah. Um, and then a little while later, Sue, Sue is a praying woman. Uh, she's part of a prayer triplet. And um, uh, although now they've got four of them, I don't know what uh, you know, yeah. what's that about. Um, and um, so she'd been praying all this time. Obviously, I didn't realize because I probably wouldn't have appreciated being told yeah. we're praying for you. Um, and one of the ladies, Lindsay Lucas, on the 16th of June, uh, 1995, Friday evening, yeah. I'd just come back from the gym. And so it was kind of hot and sweaty, and I wanted to go upstairs and have a soak, uh, hot soaking bath. But Lindsay uh, was sitting there in our lounge and said, Kramath, I've got a word for you. And I knew her enough to know that this was a word from the Bible. Yeah. And I also knew that Lindsay wasn't going to now stop and ask my permission. Yeah, yeah. She, no comment, no, no comment. She, she just, I, I knew she just, was just going to go on. And yeah. I thought, well... And what did she share? She, she just said, I've got this word for you, and then started to read it. And this is what she read. Therefore, this is what the Lord says... If you repent, I will restore you, that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesperson. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. That's from Jeremiah 15:19. I was absolutely sure that God was speaking to me, Kramath, with a very clear message. He was asking me to repent. He said, he would restore me, and I definitely needed restoring. He was saying, I would serve him. My job was to speak worthy, not worthless words. I would then become his spokesperson. He was also saying to me, I had grown up in a culture where you never did anything uh, with, without looking over your shoulder of who was looking, what they would make of it, whether you'll get into trouble, whether this was countercultural, etc., etc., God was saying not to look to other people, but to look to Him. Yeah. So there was only one answer. Yeah. Yes. So. So this is a key Friday, decision moment in your yeah, life. Yeah. Friday evening, uh, that happened. I went up and have, had my bath, thinking about it all day Saturday, thinking about it, talking about it chasing Sue around, whatever she was doing, I was non-stop. Yeah. Sunday morning, we'll have come to church. Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, yeah. Sue said, I think you're ready. Yeah. And I said, ready for what? And she said, to give your life to Christ. And there and then, I knelt down and did it, and then decided to um, 
phone a, a couple of people and Nick yeah. was uh, one of those people. Yeah. And, um, you know, best um, decision of my life. And what would you say, just, just briefly, some of the, the differences that that made to you? I had no idea what this Bible thing was about. <laughs> I had never, even though I had an Urdu Bible, I never read it. I, I never opened the Bible. Um, and um, so uh, I did the Alpha course yeah. um, to find out, to learn a bit, bit of the theory. Remember, I'd come to Christ uh, by looking at uh, the, the words and deeds of other Christians. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, but the theory of, of, of it, I didn't know anything about it. When I started to read it, I liked its countercultural message, particularly Matthew 5, where, there are, where, it says, where Jesus says, um, I tell you, uh, you will have heard such and such, but. So there are a lot of, lot of buts in there, you know, which, which is the countercultural bit. Yeah. And um, I learned about forgiveness. Okay. That was one of the things I remember going home from an Alpha session and thinking, well, so what, what is this forgiveness? What is this reconciliation? Who do I need to forgive? Who needs to forgive me? Yeah. Um, I learned to say sorry. Yeah. That was one of the first things. Um, I also learned to tell the truth. I'd come into this country um, with, you know, kind of false um, uh, identity and so on. And I decided that that was living a lie. And I decided, quite stupidly it turns out, um, to write to the government and say, with a, with a solicitor, I wrote the letter, the solicitor then put it in, a, in their language and wrote to the government and said, my client has, come, has become a Christian and is deciding to tell you the truth and here's the passport, have it back and give him a new one. And they sat on it for four years and including during those four years, they considered deporting me to, back to Pakistan. So it was a tricky time. I remember his praying, and, but yeah, fortunately you're you know, still Four here. long years, I couldn't go out of the country. Yeah. I definitely didn't want to go to Pakistan as a Muslim convert. And, um, but, yeah. you know, um, I, I, I nevertheless uh, uh, learned. Uh, uh, I used to think God was a distant being. Um, and, you know, now I learned that he was, yeah. he was my best mate, close mate. So yeah. I learned about personal relationship with God. So that's a, um, that's a lot of difference, a lot of change in your life. And um, your family start to observe that and perhaps you begin to speak about it. What, how have you shared that with your kind of wider family? I think first few years I, I was just internalizing this, the, the decision. Yeah. Um, and thinking what, so Kramat, what have you done? And what does it mean? Yeah. And, and what does being a Christian mean? And learning about it. I, I have to say, I have a very large family. There's probably a hundred close relatives, probably a thousand distant relatives, um, probably 10,000 people from my district. Um, and so a very large family. And um, it, I kind of had a distant relationship with with most of them. Yeah. And during that time, we as a church were doing a series called A Purpose Driven Life. Yeah. Uh, Rick Warren's book. Yeah, yeah. And one day, I was on the way to see my parents in Pakistan, and I said to God something along the lines of, 
why have you brought me to this country? Uh, why this family? And he was quite impatient as usual and didn't wait till I got to the end of my why questions. And he told me, he said, Kramat, it was part of my plan that you were born in this family yeah. and in this community. Yeah. And it was part of my plan for you to be who you are. Yeah. And so I turned it round from that day onwards and started to go back to um, my family um, and work out what was a loving thing to do. Yeah. I didn't want to do anything to embarrass them because I'd taken a countercultural decision. I didn't want to shame them in any way. So what was a loving thing to do? So I tried to work that out, yeah. take opportunities to share my, my uh, decision with them, <clears throat> and I'm still doing that. Yeah. What, what's been their kind of reaction to that? I think generally positive. Okay. Um, right. And there have been one or two tricky moments um, where I thought, oh, you know, you, you need to hold, hold back. But most of the time, I, I've read the situation right. Yeah. And um, it, it's... Um, um, and, 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 and I think it began with the family but then it moved into the community. Yeah, yeah. And as to the community, we're talking about up to 200,000 people in Birmingham who are from Pakistan, maybe 150,000 are from Kashmir, maybe 100,000 are from Mirpur. Yeah. It's that kind of sure. uh, magnitude. So uh, I've written a book called Dear Birmingham. I did my PhD into Birmingham uh, education of Pakistani boys. Um, and. Um, I'm quite a well-respected person in the community. Yeah. Um, a, a number, knowing that I'm a Christian, yeah. will phone me and say, will you pray for, uh, for us and for our family? So I'm on that coming out journey yeah. um, and, and have been on, on that you know, journey. Yeah. Can I fast forward you now to a fourth key event in your life? I know you were, you were very ill. You were in hospital for a month. Uh, very seriously ill. Can you just tell us about that and the impact that's had on yeah, you uh, in the last five uh, years? Yeah, sure. Um, I think Riverside has been my chosen family. There's the biological family, and Riverside has been my chosen go-to uh, family uh, and friendships. It's helped me to process quite a few difficult issues, including some recently. Um, uh, so... Um, what happened five years ago was I felt seriously ill, completely out of the blue, and uh, I was in, in a coma for one week. Um, and it was quite a difficult moment for me and my family. Yeah. And God had other ideas. He pulled me through and has brought some massive things out of it. And probably the number one thing that he's brought out of that was I'm now a hospital chaplain. So for four years, I've been a hospital chaplain. And, and you see, I, I, because I don't wear a dog collar and I'm, and I'm brown, uh, people sometimes assume that I'll be a Muslim. And I'm the only chaplain in, in that hospital um, who has a Bible in his hand um, because I want people to know that I'm a Christian chaplain. And... Uh, uh, if I meet people who I think can't read, I will say to them, I'm Christian. You know, you understand, I'm a Christian. 
And for those two hours, I, it's very powerful. I carry this Bible, and I've spoken to probably 15, 1,600 people. And some of them will want to know my story. Yeah. They look at my name and look at my badge, and, and, and including the Muslims, and uh, they will say, so why not the Quran? Why the Bible? Tell us your story. So I get lots of practice to talk about myself yeah. and my story. So you have literally become that spokesperson uh, of that promise. Yes, yeah, and, um, yeah. yeah. And um, God is doing amazing things. Uh, uh, Nick will remember I was sharing my testimony on the day where I was baptized yeah. on this very stage. And Nick had his hurry up uh, kind of... <laughs> Sorry, Nick. And I wasn't having any of it. I, I had my script written down. And I wanted to read it all. And at the very end, uh, I read that whether you're white, black, brown, mixed, or any race or ethnicity, God was there for you. And so throughout that 24-year journey, yeah. um, I've been on a mission, you'd say, uh, to share uh, the gospel with people, yeah. do cross-cultural work. Yeah. And this seems to be the year when God is using that. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm speaking at a couple of um, um, events using my story with Christians and to prepare them for when multitudes become Christians. Really? I'm working with the Church of England here in Birmingham. Yeah. And um, uh, so um, I've also managed to keep my uh, mother tongue. Uh, remember God was saying you were meant to be from, from a Pakistani background. Uh, so I worked on my mother tongue, yeah. and now I use it. Yeah. This Friday when I was in the hospital, I spoke to a Pakistani guy who was speaking in Urdu, and he said, do you realize Christians were a part of founding of Pakistan? And um, so he was telling me, yeah. uh, and he said, you know, <clears throat> we are part of the Abrahamic faiths, and um, uh, we, we're, we believe in the same yeah. God. And uh, so I was sitting there having this conversation in Urdu, Wonderful. which, you know, it's it just uh, mind-blowing. Can we, as we come to close, I want to say a few words, but can we just say thank you to everything that Kramath has shared? And stay, stay there. Don't go anywhere yet. <clears throat> thank you. And I just, want to, I just want to say a few words about change, change in our lives, change in our world. Because that passage in Jeremiah uses a number of words. It uses words like repent, which is a change of mind. It uses the word restored, which is uh, transformed lives. It talks about worthy words, not worthless words, which is a change of speech. And it talks about turning to God, uh, which is a change of direction in, in all of our lives. Uh, we looked at inward changes that are going on um, privately and the outward changes that are then, then public, the people we follow, uh, the lives that we live. Um, and uh, people need that time to process things in their lives, to ponder on things that they've heard from other people, and perhaps even think about the change of their viewpoint on faith and Christianity uh, in a way that, that Kramath has. I think one of the key triggers when you hear Kramath's story is that the things that happened within him were often as a result of things that happened outside of him. So he moves from rural to urban. He moves from Pakistan to Britain. He moves uh, from being parented to this place of independence. Lots of change uh, and a lots of cultural change with new sites, new sounds, new books and resources, 
uh, just lots of new culture around him that brought about a change of thinking uh, in his life. And uh, he's identified these kind of four key moments in his life. And the, the Greeks had two words for time. They have the, named after the two gods, Kronos and Kairos. They have the time, which is uh, chronological time. Uh, it's the thing that fills our schedules. It's the thing that fills our diaries. It's the countdown to the holidays. But also, it has the word kairos. And that kind of time is a, is a quality of time. It's a moment in life. It's an opportunity when God might work in someone or in some way. Um, the changes that go on. And um, I think uh, for each one of them, we see it with God. God decided when the right time was to send Jesus, his son, to this earth um, so that he could die for you and I, and for the world. There was the moment when Jesus says, my time has not yet come, when he would give his life uh, as the savior of the world for each one of us. And so it's those times that we recognize in Kramer's life, you know, whether it's the change of culture, whether it's meeting Sue and Christians, whether it is this health scare uh, in his life. And very often change in our lives brings about that openness. And possibly even in our friends and our families, when change comes to them, it is an opportunity to pray for them, an opportunity to share faith with them. You know, if somebody moves into a new street or perhaps you move house yourself, it's a great opportunity just to knock on a door, to open uh, our own doors, to ask for somebody for a coffee. Because there's a curiosity in people that overcomes people's normal, normal suspicion. You know, Jesus went from village to village. It was the new one in the town created that curiosity and that openness to have conversations uh, about faith. I was chatting to someone the other day whose who's son-in-law just had a child, and he's now starting asking the big questions of life when he's never asked them before, because change does that uh, within each one of us. So as we come to a close this morning, it's good to recognize for our friends, for the people we're praying for, even in our own selves, that there are things going on in our lives when uh, there are changes around. And ultimately, it's so that God can bring each one of us to repentance, to that place of aligning ourselves with God's will uh, for our lives. And so for some today, today itself may be one of those moments. You've heard something today that is actually beginning to change how you think about things. God is calling you uh, today. Or perhaps this series as a whole. You know, this summer is the season for you to come back each week like Kramath did for that series and just hear what it is that this God can do in our lives. If you repent, and this is a promise for each one of us, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesperson. So could this be a change in your life? Um, I've asked that uh, Kramath, just to close in prayer. And he's going to pray from, from his Urdu Bible. And it's the Lord's Prayer, I understand. And we take that in faith uh, on this occasion. But can you pray for us? Yes. Um, recently, I um, was persuaded to update my iPad. And um, uh, the best bit of it was that I, uh, it, it came with a pencil. And I can now write my Urdu um, with a pencil on my iPad, and this is the Lord, Lord's Prayer in my own handwriting. Um, better than that, it's um, now doing the uh, rounds of the Twitter world, because I posted it on one of the Twitter accounts that I have, and um, somebody I know uh, has retweeted it and, um, uh, as the Lord's Prayer, and um, so I don't know where it's going to go. Um, 
So I'm going to read it to you. Hai amare baap, tu jo asman par hai, tera naam paak mana jaye, teri badshai aaye, aur teri marzi jaisi asman par puri hoti hai, zameen par bhi ho. Amari roz ki roti aaj hamen de, aur jaise hamne apne karzdarun ko maaf kiya hai, tu bhi amare karz maaf kar de. ہمیں آزمائش میں نہ لا بلکہ برائی سے بچا کیونکہ بادشاہی قدرت اور جلال ہمیشہ تیرے ہی ہیں آمین